Good morning, and welcome to Northminster. Each and every one of you bear in your very being the image of God. You reveal something about God that only your unique experience can reveal. And so we believe that you are precious, and we are so grateful for your presence with us today. This morning, we will spend time, as we always do, in sacred story, in prayer, and in song as a way to ground ourselves in the love of God. When the time comes for communion, when we're in person, we're accustomed to reminding ourselves that we come to God's table and none of us is the gatekeeper of it. All are welcome here. And though we will each gather around different tables today, this truth still stands. So we hope that in whatever way is meaningful for you, that you will be able to engage with the practice of communion toward the end of our service. Now, children of God, please join me in blessing this time together. In this place, may we see past our fear and into the spirit of the living God. In this place, may we find God alive within the temple of our hearts, uniting all of us in love. May we see beyond the illusions of separateness and fear to the truth that nothing, nothing, nothing could ever separate us from the love of God. Let's worship God together this morning. The world is not as it once was, but the human heart has not changed. Despite the swirling chaos around us, we are, each of us, still a mixture of good intentions and unintended consequences, of love and of fear, of hope and of frustration, doubt, and despair. We are still a people who need a space like this to come together and acknowledge the things we hold sacred, that God created us in God's own image and called us good, that the spirit of love that breathed life into our first ancestors breathes still in us and that often good creatures like us still fail in word and in deed, in what we have done and in what we have left undone. In a season like this, it is as important as ever that we continually remind ourselves of the boundless grace of God in the face of our own shortcomings no matter how we have failed, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. As our prayer this morning, I offer the words of the psalmist 
in Psalm 51, paraphrased by Nan Merrill. May we each find in these words the prayer that our own heart needs to hear today. Have mercy on me, O gracious one, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant kindness, forgive me where my thoughts and deeds have hurt others. Lead me in the paths of justice. Guide my steps on paths of peace. Teach me that I may know my weaknesses, the shortcomings that bind me, the unloving ways that separate me, that keep me from recognizing your life in me. For I keep company with fear, yet I was brought forth in love, and love is my birthright. You have placed your truth in the inner being. Therefore, teach me the wisdom of the heart. Forgive all that binds me in fear, that I might radiate love. Cleanse me that your light might shine in me. Create in me a clean heart, O gracious one, and put a new and right spirit within me. Enfold me in the arms of love and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Restore in me the joy of your saving grace and encourage me with a new spirit. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. After Jacob tricks his father and steals his brother's blessing, he escapes into the desert. The familiarity of his home and family now far behind him, he journeys out in fearful anticipation of what comes next. Let us now find ourselves in this story, ancient yet ever new. Jacob left Beersheba and headed out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he passed the night there. He took a rock and used it for a headrest and lay down to sleep there. During the night, he had a dream. There was a great ramp starting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven, and messengers of God were going up and coming down the ramp. Yahweh was there, standing on it, and Yahweh said, I am Yahweh, the God of Sarah and Abraham, and the God of Rebekah and Isaac. Your descendants will be as numerous as the specks of dust on the ground. You will spread to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south, and all the tribes of the earth will bless themselves by you and your descendants. Know that I am with you. I will keep you safe wherever you go and bring you back to this land. I will not desert you before I have done all that I have promised you. Then Jacob woke and said, Truly, Yahweh is in this place, and I never knew it. He was filled with trembling and said, 
how awe-inspiring this place is. This is nothing less than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob rose early the next morning and took the stone he had used as a headrest and set it up as a monument and anointed it with oil. Jacob named the place Bethel, house of God, though before that the town was called Lutz. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. Anna collapsed onto the ground beside her grandfather in a reclining position. They stared at the fire in front of them. Anna's robe would be covered in dust, something to be reckoned with tomorrow, but now she hardly cared. Exhaustion clouded out her ability to think about it. The Babylonian family she served was, to put it mildly, awful. Her ill-tempered mistress was perpetually dissatisfied with Anna's work, and her mistress's sons they were terrors. She rarely had dealings with the family's patriarch, but when she did, she always felt uneasy at his wandering eyes. She had only been with them for three months, but already she wondered how much longer she could take it. Not that she had a choice. She knew her grandfather's work was even more taxing, as he spent long days as a stonemason in the service of the governor, who had a reputation as an impatient man. She wondered how long his aging hands would be able to keep up the work. Everything in her life seemed to be deteriorating before her eyes. Oh, how different things had been in Judah. How she longed for the days before the invasion that had killed her father. Before the deportation in which her mother, likewise, was lost. The old man's voice, crackling like the fire, brought her back into the moment. Granddaughter, he said, with the inexplicable smile he always wore. How is your spirit? She struggled to understand his calm, as she always did, but she was also quick to surrender to it. She always found it soothingly contagious. She had grown to treasure the old man's presence. Her frown grew deeper as she considered what her life would be after he passed. Well, I feel like I'm carrying my weight in rocks, she answered honestly. They rest on my shoulders and in my stomach. Grandfather, I don't know how I can take another day of servitude. My grief sears me like a hot iron. I am alone, like a cub separated from its pack. Anna felt her eyes growing hot, but pushed away the feelings that threatened to overwhelm her. We know no one, and we have no temple, she said matter-of-factly. The peace of Judah and the presence of God are far behind us, and we will never taste them again. She spoke the words from a bitter mind, which was far safer than speaking from a heavy heart. Her grandfather moved in closer and wrapped his old cloak around them both. For a moment they just sat together, looking into the fire. Have I ever told you, the old man asked, breaking the silence, about our father Jacob? Anna smiled in spite of herself. A thousand times, grandfather, she said in false protest. In truth, she loved his stories, 
which were the stories of their people. They'd been told for generations, changing and moving ever so slightly with each telling. They were living stories, and in this place, cut off from their homeland, they seemed more important than ever. Even if it was only to provide a moment of merciful escape, Anna hoped the old man would tell his story in spite of her teasing. Her hope was answered. Oh, yes, certainly, her grandfather said. I have told you of his unlikely ascent, of his reputation as a scoundrel and a thief, of his boldness to wrestle with the living God until he limped away with a blessing. But tell me, have I ever told you of that strange night in the wilderness, after he'd escaped his murderous brother, seeking after the house of his uncle, Laban? This caught Anna off guard. This was actually, somehow, a story that she didn't know. Tell me, grandfather, she said, with genuine curiosity it seemed only he could inspire. Well, he began, tightening the cloak around them. Jacob was a natural-born trickster. From the moment of his birth, he was grabbing at the heels of his older brother. Twice in his life, Jacob cheated his brother out of the birthrights that really should have been his brother's. And that last time, he had gone too far. Their father was blind, you know. Jacob fooled the poor old man into giving him the blessing rather than his brother, who was the firstborn. I know, grandfather, Anna interrupted, her patience getting the better of her. You've told me this story, but what of the wilderness? I'm getting there, the old man said. Hold your horses. Now, where was I? Ah, when his brother found out what happened, he vowed to avenge himself. Every breath a threat of murder. So Jacob and his mother concocted a plan for his escape. Under the guise of looking for a wife, Jacob fled to his uncle's estate in a faraway land. And that is where our story begins. For days and days, Jacob traveled alone across treacherous terrain, his family behind him, his home a distant memory. All familiarity had turned to sand and ash as he journeyed on, holding tightly to the memories of what he'd lost. He spent many a sleepless night lost in his own resentment and guilt. And then one day, as the sun was disappearing beneath the bleak horizon, Jacob collapsed in exhaustion and loneliness. Pulling up a stone on which he would rest his head, he experienced a rare moment of surrender losing himself in suffering and sleep. That night, as Jacob slept, he dreamt he opened his eyes to find himself at the base of a ziggurat, a stair-stepping pyramid that seemed to reach into the heavens. In his life, he'd seen a few of these man-made mountains meant to bridge heaven and earth, but never in his life had he seen one quite like this. With the base of the great ramp at his feet, the top truly did reach into heaven, and angels ascended and descended its stairs. He sat in awe, hardly daring to believe what he saw, when he noticed a figure standing over him. The figure seemed at once far away and uncomfortably close, on every step of the pyramid at once. Jacob realized, his heart skipping several beats, that he sat in the presence of Yahweh. 
Over him stood the God of Sarah and Abraham, Isaac and Rebekah, and words failed him. But rather than fear, all he knew was the peace and the joy of this being's presence. All Jacob saw was the unfailing grace in the half-smile on God's shining face. Anna tried to imagine the beauty of the scene her grandfather described. She so desperately ached for peace, for the justice that God encompassed, to have such shalom right there, to be able to touch it so intimately. She envied the exile Jacob. Her grandfather went on, his voice slow and soft. My child, God said to Jacob in a musical language that sounded so familiar. When God spoke his name, it was a different name than his own, yet at once more fully his than any other. My child, know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you, nor will my loving kindness depart from you even beyond the end of your days. And with that, the hand of God reached out tenderly and brushed Jacob's face, and he woke from his sleep with a gasp. It was still night, but somehow the darkness was light to him. The world was vivid and clear. Am I truly awake? He wondered, and he was. He was nothing if not truly awake. Surely God is in this place, Jacob said, nearly breathless, and I did not know it. This place, and he looked around at the wilderness, is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. As he spoke, Anna watched her grandfather pick up a stone at his feet, turning it over in his hand. Well, the next morning, he went on, Jacob took the stone he'd put under his head and he anointed it with his meager supply of oil. And he set it up as a marker to remember God's presence. He regarded the stone in his own hand. That simple stone was more truly a ladder between heaven and earth than the tallest ziggurat and the richest empire. Jacob knew from that point on that no matter his suffering, no matter his loneliness, no matter his feeling of separation from joy and peace, that he would never truly be separated from it. God, who was the source of all these things, would never be further from him than his own breath. His story ended, and they both sat in silence except for the crackling of the fading fire. They watched it burn, sparks shooting up every so often as the wood shifted and sank. Granddaughter, the old man again broke the silence. I hear your feelings. And those feelings will rise and fall like waves, like circumstances. But the truth is, you could no more be separated from God, from peace, from joy, than a flame could be separated from light. She was silent as she took in his words. Giving her space, her grandfather began quietly singing an old psalm. She recognized it from what felt like a different life. 
Where might I go from your spirit, from the image or breath that we share? Where might I hide from your presence, whether heaven or death you were there? If I sail on the wings of the morning or sink deep in the depths of the sea, still your right hand will hold me, for your life will live on in me. Grandfather, Anna interrupted after a few stanzas. I hear you, but how am I to believe that God is here? I mean, here of all places. Each day is misery and brokenness. We are leagues from God's joy. If God is here, as you say, then surely it's with a rod of punishment. And to her surprise, her grandfather smiled again. If your God is a despot on a throne, sitting atop a pyramid, judging the iniquity of the people, then yes, I'm afraid this suffering is a story of punishment, and you, girl, had better change into your sackcloth. He nudged her playfully with his elbow, but she remained unmoved. And yes, he continued, if your God resides in a temple, a building, a nation, a way of life, then God is indeed far away. Either way, granddaughter, you will spend your life striving for God, reaching out for God, scaling the ziggurat to touch a heaven that you will never quite grasp. Such a life is suffering and disappointment. But granddaughter, that is not who we are. We need neither ziggurat, nation, nor temple. We need no stairs to connect us with heaven because heaven is already here. The temple is right here. He tapped his chest with his wrinkled hand. And the kingdom of God is among us. It's at hand, he gestured around with his rock. Surely God is in this place whether you know it or not. How, Anna asked, how can that possibly be true? Because, granddaughter, he responded gently, God is not any of those things. God is the immortal, immovable spirit that burns at your core, even if you cover over it with fear and illusion. God is the breath breathed into Adam's lungs, the same breath that you took the moment you were born. God is the image in which humanity was made, and the same image you still see when you gaze into a still pond. These are not things from which you can separate yourself or be separated from. You may lose sight of them. They may be covered over, but they haven't gone anywhere. He tightened his arm around her for a second. God is the great, loving consciousness, the ability to care for one another and to work towards shalom, and is that not here in this very moment? How can God not be in each moment, granddaughter? Even in the wilderness, with everything he loved behind him, how could God not be with Jacob? Such is the boundless nature of God's grace. He moved away and turned so that he could look into his granddaughter's face. 
the only thing that separates us from God, granddaughter, is the thought that we are separated from God. God's presence is your birthright. And in this ever-changing landscape of your life, you must learn to find it anew and anew and anew, to be mindful of it in and through all things. This is the unending work of being human. Was it possible, Anna wondered, that even here in the midst of ache and isolation, of disruption and discomfort, there was a deeper truth flowing beneath it all? She imagined calm, cool water beneath the ocean waves that were crashing violently on the surface, a surface that she felt trapped upon, unable to go any deeper. And how do I go about this work of being human? Anna asked with a note of annoyance, of uncovering this God who hides from me. How do I get around that which covers God? Her grandfather smiled patiently. You do not, he said. You cannot get around it. You have to go through it. God is not found in spite of anything, but within it all. Many are the narrow paths that will lead you to God. All, suffering, prayer, meditation, but none of these lead you to escape. There are none which do not take you into the heart of your pain or call you to look deeply into that which is around you. But then, after that, each path leads you out into a spacious clearing on the other side. A moment passed. So, granddaughter, he asked again, I ask you again, how is your spirit? Anna felt the fear and the loneliness, the despair rise up in her chest. But this time, as her grandfather had said, she stayed with it. She didn't seek to escape it or push it away. She leaned in and leaned into him as her body was racked with sobs. It truly did feel as though it would overwhelm her. It truly did feel like death. She didn't know how long she stayed there, how long they held on to one another. But eventually, to her astonishment, that feeling that had risen in her fell again, slowly, like a wave going back out to the sea. And in its place, there was peace, a calm relaxation that she did not understand. And she sat with this for a long while, with this spirit of shalom that she had never felt quite in this way, even when she lived in Judah. Her grandfather began quietly chanting his psalm again, and eventually Anna smiled. Surely God is in this place, she thought to herself, and I did not know it. She looked up into her grandfather's face. You may call this place Babylon, the old man said after a moment. You may call it exile. You may call all of this, he gestured to the dusty landscape around him, 
the dirty shared courtyard of a poor old man. But do you know what I call it? What do you call it, grandfather? Anna asked reverently. He looked back at the fire and he smiled. I call it the house of God. We're grateful that you were with us today. We hope that in being here and taking part in our liturgy, your heart has been tuned to the fountain of God's presence in such a way that you can go forth from this place and share the love that flows and overflows. 
Before we close, we have a couple of announcements. As our White Fragility book study wraps up this Wednesday evening, we'll be looking ahead to the work of our Racial Justice Task Force, a group that is emerging out of a submission to the Holy Idea Board by D.H. Clark. And it's not too late to join us in that work of looking ahead towards action. So please contact the office if you would like to be added to that list. Remember that we're hosting our first virtual church business meeting today at 4 p.m. You can join on a phone, tablet, computer, or call in from a landline. And you should receive an email this afternoon just before the meeting uh, starts with the link. So you can find it there or in the newsletter. And as always, please don't forget to give. As the pandemic wears on, we are still honoring our commitments to our church staff and our choral scholars who all rely on this income in an uncertain time. And we cannot meet that commitment without your support, and we're grateful for it. And now, people of God, receive this benediction. If here you have found freedom, take it with you into the world. If you have found comfort, go and share it with others. If you have dreamed dreams, help one another that they may come true. If you have known love, give some back to a bruised and a hurting world. You are seen and you are loved. Now go in peace.